Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to the What's Eric Eating podcast. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. For the last four weeks, we've had a good pattern of talking about some news of the week and some restaurants of the week and then doing an interview. But we're not going to do that this week. We're going to break the format in our fifth episode, uh, mostly because it's my show and I can do what I want. Texas Monthly just published its list of the 50 best barbecue joints in Texas. Uh, barbecue is far and away my favorite food. It is what I like to eat. And the list is a topic of discussion in the in the food world, not just not just here in Houston, but certainly across the state and even beyond the borders of the Red River. So I have a special co-host this week to join me to break down the list. Michael Fulmer, the co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Then we're going to have Will and Nicole Buckman, the owners of Corkscrew Barbecue in Spring. They just found out Monday morning that they are the owners and operators of the seventh best barbecue joint in the state of Texas. Mr. Fulmer, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Michael, why don't we just start kind of right at the beginning, you eat a lot of barbecue. You, you are familiar with many of the barbecue joints that are on the list. Why does this list matter? I think this list matters for several reasons. One, Texas Monthly has been doing this for a while. Uh, uh, they, they started in the seventies. They stopped for a little while, but then brought it back in the nineties. And Pat Sharp, you know, was part of that group that started it back up. She's been doing it for a long time. You know, you meet someone like Pat Sharp, and she's this diminutive uh, woman, you know, but she knows her barbecue. She really does. And, you know, them bringing in Daniel Vaughn now as the first full-time barbecue editor, and, you know, that's not just a, a, a title. The Daniel does his homework. Uh, he not only educates himself, but he's constantly researching barbecue that's what he does and he does a good job at it um yeah i mean in there in the article on the on a texas monthly website they said they visited 400 barbecue joints and compiled over twenty thousand miles of driving to get down to 50 i mean that's a level of thoroughness that other websites don't match no i mean we all know that there's you see it all the time lists from places that that never even stepped foot in Texas that are ranking them. Um, so it's not just the longevity. It's, it's as you say, it's also their, uh, the amount of work they go into it, their acumen on it, you know, is significant. I think something else that's worth noting is they do this every four years, really, four to five years. It's not something that comes out every year. So I think that gives it a little more gravitas. Right. And I mean, we can, we can get into kind of what sets different places apart, but, but certainly, I mean, in, in the last four years, the Houston barbecue scene has exploded dramatically. I mean, there are seven Houston area restaurants on the list, two in the top 10. None of them really existed the last, in, in their current form the last time the list came out. Killens had just opened. That's in the, the top 50, not in the top 10. I mean, as someone who is like a close observer of the Houston barbecue scene, like, is it safe to say this is the best? barbecue has ever been in Houston? Oh, I, I would say it definitely is, but you know, we haven't plateaued either. It's continuing to rise. Um, if you're going to open a new barbecue joint, the bar is very high. I mean, we know there's 
several established places that are, you know, part of the Houston scene. I mean, Good Company has been around a long time, just to, to make note of one. I really don't see them changing. They are successful at what they do. The customers that go in there regularly are happy. So why should they change? Um, but if you're opening a new place, the bar is very high, you know. And yes, this all goes back to the renaissance of 2009. And, and you know, it, a lot of it lands on the feet of Aaron Franklin, to be sure. Um, that Central Texas style, the quality of the meat. I mean, it's just, it, it really, it just it started everything new. And so when you look at a place like the Pit Room, which isn't even open a year, they really set that they really came to that bar of quality. I mean, throughout it's really ubiquitous. It's not just like, we're going to have great brisket. Um, their sides, uh, the other meats they do there, they make their own sausage. Uh, it's that kind of commitment to quality as well as you can't just have the commitment to it. You got to really, you got to carry through and they do. Right. I mean, Pinkerton's barbecue also in the top 50, you know, the pit master, the owner, Grant Pinkerton literally lives above the restaurant. Like, you can't be more hands-on than that. He's there tending the fires every day. Uh, the one the one I do kind of want to dive into a little more deeply is Tejas Chocolate Craftery in Tomball. It's the sixth highest-rated barbecue joint according in the state, according to Texas Monthly. It's the highest-rated barbecue joint in, Houston, in the Houston area. What about Tejas Chocolates? Because I, I think that's a place that maybe, unless you're really paying attention to barbecue, you may not be as familiar with. What about Tejas Chocolates really elevated them to this lofty position? Well, the, the quality of what they do there, if you look at their smoker, uh, I mean, it you, know, you can't believe that they're putting out great barbecue with that because, it's one, it's not that big, and two, you know, it looks like it was almost crafted together from old oil field equipment. Um, they make that work, okay? They are really committed people to having a great product there, Um you know, yes, they started off as chocolates, and barbecue became an, almost an afterthought. But they realized they were onto something, and they've run with it. And I mean, their lives are going to change now significantly. Yeah, they're about to get a lot more busy. I, I think one of the things that kind of sets them apart is that they're willing to experiment. You know, they they were early to embrace this pastrami trend that's kind of sweeping Texas barbecue right now. Sides are excellent. That carrot souffle is a Houston barbecue bucket list dish. Yeah, it's really, uh, it, it's really fantastic. And then the sauces, that, like things like the mole sauce that they do to the side, you know, is, man, that's fantastic. Right. That blending of Mexican influences into barbecue, I think that's a very exciting new direction for right. they don't kind of stray, what's next. They don't stray too far from the norm, but they're willing to incorporate, you know, other influences. And, um, man, they do, they're, they do a solid job. So then the other, the other we're, we're going to talk about Corkscrew more in depth. We talked about the pit room. We mentioned Pinkerton's. Gatlin's Barbecue back on the list at a new location, a bigger location. Where does that rank for you in terms of its overall placement in Houston? You mean Gatlin's? Gatlin's. Gatlin's, it's interesting because I was curious how that would pan out, moving, being that Greg A moved to a bigger spot and he's uh, not using a fire stick, you know, smoker anymore. Um. I've been to Gatlin's multiple times in the last year, uh, and he's taken part in the, some of the events we've done also, and the quality has not suffered. The ribs in particular, and they, they even mentioned this in Texas Monthly, the ribs in particular are just fantastic. You know, and 
the biggest problem with the you know last place was a there was no place to sit and b it took forever and now they that line moves you know fairly well and there's plenty of seating you know and so it's really nice to say or to see really that they can move up to a bigger spot and still maintain that quality now i think the biggest surprise for a lot of people other than what the heck is Teos chocolates is going to be the Killen's barbecue is not in the top 10. I think that's been a consensus top two or three in the Houston area since the day it opened. It's gotten all kinds of national acclaim from the food network and other places. What's holding, what, what is your reaction to seeing that Killen's is not in the top 10? I, I was surprised too. I really thought we'd see, you know, Ronnie in there in the top 10. I think he deserves to be in the top 10, frankly. Uh, it's his commitment to quality, uh, the consistency, and also you know the, the, the to put out that kind of quality with the numbers, the volume that he's doing is almost unprecedented. You know, it's fantastic. And so I, you know, if you look at that ratings where everything that's out of the top ten, you know, everything that's in the top ten is four point seven five or a five, and he got a four point five. You know, he's, I think he's right on the outside looking in. Uh, you know, I don't want to. We split hairs like, well, would he be 11 or 12? I think he deserves to be in the top 10, I think. Uh, so I am surprised by that. Uh, I will continue to support, and I think he does a great job. And, and so we'll see. And, of course, Regal's Barbecue is the, the final Houston barbecue joint that makes the top 50. I mean, such a great story. You know, they were a Baker's Ribs franchise for years and years. Flipped the switch back in 2015. Completely redid the menu, redid the way they do their barbecue. And now uh, TMBBQ Top 50, that's pretty outstanding. Yeah, I mean, they, I think Russell and Misty, they've become like the, the poster child for a place that wants to reinvent themselves. And they did quite successfully. And they really put themselves on a path of increasing the quality uh, as well as educating themselves. Um, you know, when Russell first came to our festival, that's what his jaw just dropped because he actually came as Baker's ribs. And a lot of these guys, they work so hard. They never get out. They don't get to go to other places. They don't go on barbecue runs. They work, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. And if they get any free time, they sleep. And when he started tasting what other people were doing, he realized, like, I really need to change my game. And he has. Um, he's become a stalwart at the Texas A&M Meat Science Departments who puts on several programs a year, which are really incredible. They do something called brisket camp. They do barbecue camp. And these are two-day events uh, that sell out in five minutes, usually sponsored through Food Waste Texas. Um, and Russell has been an integral part of that, not only attending, uh, but also helping out there. And that's been a great, that's been an additional support, you know, of his education, uh, his continued education as it would be. Right. And, and certainly, you know, another restaurant that's embraced the pastrami trend, they've done lamb ribs, you know, always experimenting. The collard greens with bacon are really good. That bourbon banana bed pudding is a bourbon banana pudding. You could just say bourbon a couple times because you'll definitely yeah, taste it's, it. Yeah, you definitely will taste the bourbon in the banana pudding is another of those kind of bucket list Houston barbecue desserts. I mean, it's, it's just an outstanding restaurant that's come a long way in a short time. Yeah, you know... It, I don't know the full criteria of what, you know, Daniel, Pat, you know, Daniel and Pat ultimately have the final say on, on what's going on that list. You know, there were the other contributors um, as to what makes that, you know, looking at say sides, for instance, desserts, you know, Ronnie kills it with that. They're fantastic. Uh, corkscrew. 
outstanding. Yeah, I don't. I mean, my sense from looking at the top five, if you want to, if you want to move into a statewide perspective, my sense is that sides and desserts and experience aren't really that important this time. Um, no, I think they're a bit tertiary to it. Um, you know, I think what barbecue writer doesn't want to go into a sort of a ramshackle place, uh, you know, that maybe just kind of has that air of, of, of old time Texas, even if it's new, um, they like that. I think it's worth noting that at least to my knowledge, the top 10 there, the only one of them is using a oiler pit, you know, which has become a standard from J and R manufacturing for, uh, for doing volume and from being able to do it, over time uh, with good quality. The other nine places have all constructed their own pits uh, or, or in fact, you know, they're straight up stick burners, if you will. Um, they're not rotisserie burners. They're not rotisserie smokers. Right. Old fashioned offset barrel smokers. Exactly. And, you know, certainly that's, you know, Aaron's got a whole industry on, I wouldn't be surprised to see that. I mean, he really knows how to construct a pit. He understands pit technology very well. Um, you know, what Eva Mays has out there also for them. Um, I haven't been to Cadillac uh, or Bodacious. Uh, I'm curious to try that. I think it's also worth noting, look at what the time frame is on some of these places when they're open. I mean, Cadillac is open two days a week with what? One Saturday a month. Yeah. Snows is open only on Saturdays. Uh, how many of these places are open five days a week? Well, Franklin is, and he's maxed out. For him to put out that kind of quality with that kind of attention, that you know, is incredible. Right. I mean, Truth Barbecue from Brenham that came in at the tenth spot. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Very limited production. Very limited capacity. You know, accessibility clearly was not a criteria. Right. Doesn't matter if you're open for dinner. Doesn't matter if you're open seven days a week. It's when you're open. What do you put out? And being able to limit your production certainly has can only improve your quality. If you can really baby, you know, if you're only serving 10 or 15 briskets a day, maybe that's, you know, it's, I think it's hard for a place that does the volume that, that Killens does to hold on to a, a really premium spot on that list. Yeah, I, you know, I think so also, but you know, and so I don't know whether that went into the criteria itself. I mean, the old adage of course in Texas is where's the best barbecue? Well, it's in my backyard or it's in my friend's backyard. You know, like what separates the true barbecue joint from competition? You know, well, anyone can work really hard on something that they're turning in in a small box to these judges uh, over a weekend. But really, can you do this consistently over time to people who are paying money? I mean, that's a whole different level. And, you know, when I look at places that do large numbers and still put out the quality, it really impresses me. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? All right, well, let's dive a little more deeply into the, the statewide top 10. Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, Texas, only open on Saturdays. Takes the number one spot. They're reclaiming it. They claimed it in 2008. They lost it in 2013 to Franklin. I, I don't know what sort of reaction you've been getting, but the, the private messages that I've been receiving all morning are that this was a mistake, that Snows doesn't deserve to be labeled the best barbecue joint in Texas. Did, did Texas Monthly get this right or wrong, in your opinion? You know, when I saw it, you know, every, everyone loves the underdog story, and, you know, Snows 
which they really put on the map. You know, it's in tiny little Lexington, Texas. There's really, it's, I mean, it's a town of what? A couple of yeah, thousand? Yeah, like 1,200. Yeah. I mean, it is tiny. And you have Miss Tootsie, uh, this older woman, A, one of the few female pitmasters, you know, and you just you see a picture of her and you're just like, wow, uh, what character this woman has. Right. She's in her, she's 82, according to Texas Monthly. Yeah. And she's as humble as they come, humble and hardworking. And I got to say, it is some of the, you know, when I talk straightly, just brisket is some of the best brisket I've ever had. They do a fantastic job. Um, now they, you know, they have their own, doing their own sausage. It has a, they have it made for them nearby, but it's the pork ribs. They, they, it's a complete job now. Also, once again, they're not using an oil or a rotisserie. Uh, they have the offset smokers. Um, the other things they do, the chicken, the pork, it's really, really solid. So right, but, when we but, split hairs, you know, does it deserve to be better than Franklin? Who knows? I, I'm okay with it. Right, but but again, in terms of sides, desserts, accessibility, volume, none of that seems to matter for Snows, right? It no, really is just about the meat that comes off that pit for those three or four hours on a Saturday morning. If those other things were strong determinants, then you know you'd have to. Then no, obviously it would have to be Franklin. But so rounding out, rounding out the top five, Franklin obviously number two, and then Cadillac and Dallas number three. And then Bodacious Barbecue in Longview is number four. I, I have to admit, I had not been familiar with Bodacious Barbecue. I was familiar with it, but had not been there. Um, several barbecue fellow barbecue travelers have been speaking to me about it for the last few months, uh, and they ranked it as one of the best in the state. Uh, and these are people whose opinions I respect. Um, so uh, I'm eager to make a trip up there and, and visit them. Then Teos Chocolates, oh, Louis Mueller Barbecue, number five. Uh, certainly the, the high temple of Texas barbecue for me, my personal favorite Texas barbecue joint uh, to hit on a road trip. Beef rib, legendary, brisket's fantastic. I mean, just really an iconic restaurant. Yeah, I, you know, that phrase gets thrown around, iconic, but for them, them it really it fits. Uh, you know, you hear that phrase, cathedral of smoke, you know, or the court, if you will. Um, if you were to do a, you know, a flow chart of people who have come through and been trained and worked at Louis Mueller, uh, you start with, you know, Louis Mueller, then you go to Bobby, their dad, who actually did win a James Beard award. It wasn't a chef award, but he had a special acknowledgement from the James Beard committee. Uh, then you have Wayne Mueller who came back and took over the reins and has only raised the quality if, if in my opinions. Uh, then of course, Leanne now is, you know, she did. La Barbecue, which is absolutely stellar. <laughs> John, you know, who is now reopened again in uh, Pflugerville, or is it Georgetown? Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those awesome. Yeah, suburbs. he's he, the, the the dark prince of uh, barbecue is back. Uh, and But then, you know, everyone else who's... Even Aaron Franklin worked there. Uh, you know, it's... Their influence is significant. There are places in New York and Seattle and all across Texas of people who have either train there or, you know, or, you know, briefly or work there. And, you know, Wayne is one of the most generous people, Wayne Mueller, uh, you know, in sharing, he's like, Hey, it's not a big secret. It's salt and pepper and smoke. Right. Uh, and, um, their influence is considerable. And so I would have, if they had been out of the top 10, I would have been really shocked. Uh, Teos chocolate, six corkscrew, seven Micklethwaite. I'm going to let you say it. 
Micklethwaite in Austin is eight. Evie May in uh, Walford, which is near Lubbock, is yeah, nine. Yeah, just, just south of Lubbock. And then Truth Barbecue in Brenham comes in at number 10. Truth, I, I mean, I, I have not been to Evie May. I, I looked up where Lubbock is I, or Walford. It's, it's over 500 miles from Houston. So that, that's going to have to wait a little bit for me. Truth is a place that I've been with you a number of times and has been consistently outstanding. But again, small production, very hands-on, very artisan. Very artisan. He's very committed to you know to quality. Uh, if you know if a brisket is not right, he generally will not put it out there. You know he's worked hard. You know he it, it's a small operation right now. He's just starting to expand a little bit in terms of infrastructure and staffing. He just did his first off premise event at the Red Dirt Festival uh, just uh, about a month ago. Uh, apparently, to quite good acclaim. Uh, I see nowhere going nowhere but up, you know. He's, he's going to have good problems of high volume to deal with. And then I think the other thing about the list that's going to surprise people is that some of those classic barbecue joints are not on the list anymore. Opie's and Spicewood, Black's and Lockhart. They just don't make the cut anymore. I've gotten more messages about Black's than anything else. Uh, people being shocked, disappointed in that. You know, they, their operation has expanded a little bit. Um, to me, it was, you know, Lockhart, the former, you know. The cradle of Texas barbecue. Yes, the former epicenter, if you will. You know, they've fallen off to the wayside. Smitty's really has gone downhill. Uh, my last few experiences have been very subpar. Um, and Black's, is, their beef rib is fine. Uh, I have not had good experiences with the brisket or with their sides. Uh, they're wonderful people, yes. I thought there was room for them on the top 50. So I'm a little surprised they didn't make the cut on that. But I think the the list generally reflects that shift from the small towns to the big cities. Now, obviously, the top 10 is a little bit of an exception because it's basically a 50-50 split. But Houston went from having four to seven. Austin has seven. Dallas has three. San Antonio has two. I mean, that's almost half the list by itself. Yeah, I don't know if it's so much a shift geographically speaking so much as uh, the style of barbecue. I think that's the most significant aspect of, of how uh, we've seen changes on that. Um, you know, the, that brisket, it's got to be, you got to have great moist, you got to have great lean brisket, and the rest of what you do has to be great. I mean, um, is there an economic component? Are people in big cities more willing to pay $18, $20 a pound for prime brisket? that maybe in a small town you couldn't get away with charging that? I think that's definitely an issue. Uh, I know uh, it's a guest barbecue, which is just south of Dallas. Uh, it's a small trailer that is selling out every day, and they're pushing it, I think, at $24 a pound right now. But once again, they're just a small operation. We'll see what happens if they go brick and mortar. Um, I think there's definitely, I mean, Snow's is a destination barbecue place. Louis Mueller is a destination barbecue place. Um, I don't think you can put an expensive place in the middle of nowhere, uh, too many of them, let's put it that way. Like, you know, there was nothing in Brenham. You know, there was Lost Pines nearby, uh, which had decent baby back ribs, but that was about it. So he's now a big fish in a little pond there. Uh, and being right in between, like exactly halfway between Austin and Houston, you know, right there in Brenham. And Brenham, not really a small town either, necessarily. Uh, you know, he will do well, but could there, could Brenham sustain five, six more places like that? I'm dubious. I think economics is part of it. Having a larger group with disposable income is important. 
So you had you, you thought Black should have been in the top 50. You think there could have been a spot in the top 10 for Killens. Are there any other places that you think maybe should have been on the list and weren't? Uh, Opie's for me would would is probably, you know, I would say, because my experiences there have been really strong. The Coopers in San Marcos, I've had a great The Coopers in, in Lano. Coopers in Lano is still on the list. Still on the list. Or Yano or Lano, DeWitt, whoever you want to say it. Uh, the Coopers in San Marcos, I find to be fantastic. Now, you go into the place, and it doesn't have, you know, this look of, like, where it opened in 1920. It's only a few years old, um, you know, but I've had fantastic experiences there, not just with the traditional stuff, but their willingness also to do other things like Cabrito. Uh, I think there was room for them on the top 50, to be sure. Um, also, two brothers outside of San Antonio. Uh, once again, one of the few places with a female pitmaster. Uh, I right. think what they Had do, been on the list in 2013, dropped off the list in 2017. Yeah, I thought they deserved to be on the list, too. All right. Well, we're going to leave it there. We'll be right back with Will and Nicole Buckman from Corkscrew Barbecue. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? We're joined now by Will and Nicole Buckman, the owners of Corkscrew Barbecue in Spring, Texas. Guys, I just want to start with the the very most obvious question. How does it feel to own the seventh best barbecue joint in the state of Texas? I don't think it's sunk in yet. We're still we're still uh, trying to get it all figured out. I mean, we, we do feel fantastic. Or I do, anyways. It's amazing. I mean, do you work this hard and you get acknowledged for it? I mean... How's that not amazing? I think hard work and talent could actually pay off. <laughs> I know. It's awesome. Did you know? I mean, what did what did you know in advance about how you had done on the list? Uh, I knew nothing. We knew nothing in advance. We, I mean, we had our, uh, our guesses. We had obviously had some photographers out there, some videographers out there. So we knew that we were on the list, and that's about it. Yeah. Other than that, the, you know, there was pretty hush-hush. What is what's the reaction been like from friends and family and your customers over the last few hours since the list was announced? Oh, hasn't stopped. It hasn't stopped. Uh, we're we're still we've got a backlog of of comments to answer still. Yeah, we just want to know that we just really want to sit down and think of the best thing to say, kind of to everybody. Do you think that this is going to change anything about how you do what you do? I mean, have you thought about? Opening for more days or longer hours or trying to work out dinner? No. That's just, I mean, we're out where we're at because of how we do it now. And uh, our hours that we work are long and hard, and we're not taking days away from our children, and we're not taking hours away from them. They're only going to be young for so long, and that's just something maybe we'll look at in the future when they don't want to hang out with us anymore. But at this moment, our kids want us there, and... um our Sundays are devoted to our children. I mean, you were you were top fifty in 2013. What? I mean, I know a lot of things have changed for you over the last four years. How did? What what changes did you make, or or do you think that your barbecue is better now than it was then? Most definitely, uh, we've we've really you know when we got into the barbecue business, we were. We were freshmen for sure. We we didn't know a lot of the ins and outs of it. We knew we had a good product and we wanted to put it out there, but we still had a lot left to learn. So over the course of the last four years, we've we've learned a ton. Uh, we use better quality meats now. Uh, we know how to handle the the pressure and the the rigors of the business. Um, but it's it's really just attention to detail. We've really learned what to focus in on 
and what our customers want. We've learned to listen to them as well and deliver every day. I mean, you're, I mean, I, I don't get to corkscrews often as I would like. The, the line can be a little bit intimidating, and it's probably only about to get a lot longer. But every time I go, you're there. Is that, I mean, are you there pretty much every day? Every day. We're there every day. If the, it's if not the, a pretty much, it's an every day. If, if we're not there, the doors don't open. Yeah, I was telling them just the other day, I don't think I've ever been to Corkscrew when they weren't, I know they haven't, when they weren't there. Uh, and we were just there a few days ago, and it was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Do, do you think being there every day makes a difference? I mean, could you, could you train a staff to run it the same way? I don't, I don't think so. I, you can. I think you can train the staff to run it the same way, but are they going to care as much as Nicole and I do? I don't think so. We have a fantastic staff. Our team is is it's it's an A team uh, without a doubt. Um, but there's there's just so much to barbecue that that you just can't train. So, what are some of the things that you've learned then over the last four years that have moved you from top fifty to top ten? We, I mean, we've learned so much, but from top fifty to top ten, ah. That's a tough I, I, one. I, it's just I, I relate it all back to our, our our dedication to the to the craft and and to our customers. Uh, I think has skyrocketed us there. Uh, we all are, are always there. We have personal relationships with customers. Um, it's it's more of a family than it is a, a business transaction. Um, I think we listen. I mean, we it, there's not really one specific thing or even 10 specific things that we do to have changed in the last four years other than you tweak things here and you change things there and we work together and we sit up at night and write things out and sometimes we'll be on vacation and just go hey this is the way I want to do it when you have that week off we we, we always come back and kind of change things just a tiny bit it may just be even how we arrange the kitchen to make it more efficient you know it might be something so simple as that just to keep our customers keep it going faster the line might be slow on a saturday because it is so busy but we'll keep the kitchen more functional and we'll get the food out even faster so they only have to wait a minute or two after they actually place their order so i think it's just little things and then how do you sort of balance like your opinions about what the side should be like and how the dishes are prepared versus the feedback you're getting from your customers. I mean, we, we definitely look at the trends. We, we, if we're getting a, a, a slew of complaints about a side, we obviously know that something needs to change. Um, you'll get one here and there, but we, we grappled with this for a long time. And, uh, you know, if we, I, the way that I look at it is if we feed 5,000 people in a week and we get one complaint, there's no need to worry there. Um, if you're, if you're getting, four or five, 600 complaints out of that 5,000 people, then it's time to look at it and reanalyze what, what it is that we're putting out or where we're going wrong. On the other side, do you think there's a case of where you've now been established that you can't change? Like you've got a good core group of customers, people who are really loyal. It's a beautiful thing to see. And that if you try to change something, you know, it, it tweaks a lot of heads, yeah. you know, like don't like my attitude is don't ever change that coleslaw. <laughs> I'm not a coleslaw eater, but I'll always we, get a pine or We hear that there. a lot. Yeah, we definitely hear that a lot. I think the only thing we've actually changed as far as a menu item that somebody we had complaints on was actual pepper in the macaroni and cheese. That was literally it. And that's only because people said their kids would see the pepper and automatically not eat it. 
And so we were just like, well, I mean, we can pull that out. That's yeah, not a big deal. The white and they mm-hmm. just add their own pepper. It didn't really make that much of a difference to to us. I mean, when we took it out, we tried it, and it, it tasted the same to us. We just add our own black pepper. <laughs> I mean, I think the other thing about your menu is that it's it's incredibly consistent. Brisket, pulled pork, pork ribs, sausage. Do you look at trends like pastrami or lamb and want to put your spin on it, or do you want to concentrate on what you do? You know, we want to concentrate on what we do. Uh, we know what we're good at. We're going to stick to it. There's there's a lot of stuff uh, that's come out over the last few years, and there's a lot more to come, I believe. Um, and there's there's people who are, are very good at uh, making these dishes and, and, and perfecting them and putting them out to the public. So I, I'm definitely not looking at uh, because this guy over here is doing something. Well, we need to do it now, too, and, and compete for that item. Uh, that's theirs. I mean, if they're the first to put it out on the market, uh, they deserve all the recognition they get from it. I'm not going to chase after them. Uh, we stick to what we know. And and I. Will doesn't have time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the other thing. I mean, we've I mean, got dishes that we've made up, and, and, and uh, the, the process is too long or grueling, and I just can't seem to get it on the menu. Uh, they're one-off items that we'll do for festivals or uh, yeah, we leave that kind of stuff things I think, like for that. festivals. Yeah, like the prime rib. Yeah. yeah, the prime rib, the pork belly. I mean, it's got a seven-day brine. I can't keep up with that stuff at the restaurant. Yeah, I mean that that prime rib that you served at the Houston Barbecue Festival was certainly one of my favorite bites. Well, thank you. I, I think I uh, we had I, I have I I like to fly by the seat of my pants, so I tested that product two days earlier. Well, I, I love to tell the story to other people, and I can say it here now. Uh, you, know, you and I did a event, I guess it was uh, Super Beef at St. Arnold's mm-hmm. uh, several years ago, and you were like, I want to serve pork belly. And pork belly was not, you know, a more common or ubiquitous item you see now uh, at other barbecue joints, and I was, man, I was really dubious. I was like, can we carry this off in a bite-sized format? <laughs> and I talked to lots of chefs, and they were like, no, that's really, they, they were, I said, okay, if you want to do it, you do it. And it's some of the best pork belly I've ever had in my life. Thank it you. It was fantastic. Agreed. So, you know, if you guys want to go off the reservation, if you want yeah. to do an R&D, just know that, you know, the skill is there. Oh, I definitely believe that. I think, uh, like I said, it, a lot of it goes back to our kids. We could spend all night there working on all new ideas and new stuff and stuff like that. But, you know. Are you saying having a life matters? Yeah, our, <laughs> having a life with our children is, is very, very important. That's a wonderful Absolutely. Thing. Have you kind of told your staff like get ready? Are you are you oh, sort yeah. of geared up for for the crowds that are going to start making their way to you? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Texas Monthly is a big one. You know, it's it's one of the ones, is, especially being a business owner, uh, that you you want to make it on that list, and uh, pe- because people pay attention to it, people are watching. And uh, I we did we told them get ready. I mean, it's time to pull up your bootstraps, and uh, every day's a Saturday from now on. I think they're already scared because it's already so busy. And they're also exhausted already, so they're all like, "Oh God, <laughs> I need to call it more troops." Aaron Franklin, and I read in some article briefly. He he did mention it, like the immense pressure he's mm-hmm. under. You, it is a lot. There's all of this hype, and yes, he meets the hype. Absolutely, you know, it's like this is going to be an incredible experience. I'm going to wait five to six hours, and you know what? He always delivers. Right, but it's still not really autom- scary. It's not an automatic thing. That's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure. Absolutely, I completely agree. We've the talked about that. There. Yeah. It's always you there. always you want, want to slip. you you work this hard. You want to please everybody, and it's not because you just want to be like I'm the best. You want to please them because they work hard, they earn their money, they waited in t- line, they spent their time with you, and you want them to be happy 
because they de- dedicated so much to you to be there, to drive in, to fly in, whatever. It's important. Yeah, it's ultimately what drew me to the whole barbecue experience where initially just doing barbecue runs with Chris Reed, who's you know now the barbecue columnist for The Chronicle, uh, and then starting the Houston Barbecue Festival. But yes, I loved eating all this meat and continue to. And <laughs> look at me and you can see that. <laughs> but really, it's the people. It's We met so many great people. We were like, God, these people work so hard. They're just use that phrase salt of the earth salt of the earth like what can we do to shine a light on them yeah do you get to i mean other than the barbecue festival do you get to try other people's food do you get to some of the other joints around town uh, every now and then you know when we when we take a vacation and we're not at work we try to hit up other barbecue spots and and support friends uh, or people that have actually become family of ours in the in the barbecue community so we do our best to get there unfortunately because we are always at the restaurant a lot of uh, restaurants hold the same hours as we do. So, you know, we're closed on Sundays and Mondays. A lot of the other ones are as well. So it makes it really hard for us to get over there to them. Is there like a, I mean, on, on today, the day that the list has come out, is there like a sort of shared sense of community of like shared accomplishment? Absolutely. A- absolutely. I mean, we, we've, uh, in the barbecue community, I mean, I've gotten several texts myself from uh, other owners, other pit masters, and we've sent out plenty of our own Uh all congrat- congratulatory. Yeah, Bramwell Tripp from the pit room had a nice Facebook post today, you know, talking about that, uh, acknowledging that it's not just him or just him and Michael. It's that it's, there's a community here, uh, and he's grateful and proud to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've heard, I mean, I've heard from Grant Pinkerton this morning. I've heard from Bramwell, uh, numerous others. I mean, we're all just patting each other on the back today because it's all well-deserved. We know the work that it takes to get there, so. Did you get any insight from Texas Monthly about the criteria they use to rank you? No, unfortunately not. I do know that it only mattered the last three months. I mean, it. it, it I could have, you know, we got a 4.5 uh, star rating for, uh, four years ago, and uh, we were told that none of that matters. It, it, it's basically when they go into their judging phase, that's what they're looking at. They're making multiple stops. They're looking for consistency, quality, um, but as far as criteria, you know, uh, time you've been opened, I, none of that. I didn't, we yeah, weren't privy to it. We were trying to figure out if like sides and desserts and all that kind of thing mattered because it, it doesn't seem like it contributed very much to the whole. I think it's all part of it. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think it's like necessarily involved or not involved. I think they want to see consistency in everything in your restaurant. Yeah, what it is that you're doing. I mean, if you're consistent at it, I mean, you, I mean, take the pit room, for instance, and us. I mean, we're two completely different restaurants, in my opinion. Yes, they're, they're based on barbecue, but they are chef driven. They come up with these creative dishes. Um, uh, that are awesome. It makes it really hard to, to judge all of us as being the same. I, I just really think it's a matter of what they're putting out. Well, and I think the, to a certain extent, the things that are important to you as a business owner you know, what kind of beverages you serve, what the sides are like, whether you have dessert may not be, you know, the the things that keep customers coming back again and again may not be as important when you're getting ranked on a list by a magazine. I think it's all important. I really do. I mean, I, we, we pay attention to every item that's on our menu. It's, it's all important Uh, though. We focus, you know, it's a barbecue restaurant. So the meat is at the forefront, but everything else that goes along with it is, is just as important to us. We put heart and soul into everything. I try everything every day after the guys make it. And if it's not right, we redo it. I don't care what it is. I make all the cobblers myself every day because 
I just prefer the way I do them. I've trained, but it just comes out the way I want it. Right. I, I feel like in, in the interest of full disclosure, we should tell people that when Michael and I ate there on last weekend, that we ordered four cobblers, uh, two to split between four people and two to go. It, it really is just one of those fantastic, like you, you can't go to Corkshire and not eat the cobbler. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. That's appreciated. Um, and, and for what it's worth, I, I think the version of Corkscrew that I had when we visited is the best version of Corkscrew that we've ever had. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I envision is every trip, your next trip is always going to be the best. We're always looking at improving what we do. Always. So, I mean, I, I'm sure I, I hear from successful restaurant owners all the time that, that once you sort of establish yourself, that people start throwing opportunities at you to expand. Mm-mm. Like, are there, are there any criteria under which you would open another location? No. Period. Yeah. <laughs> no, period. Do we get that? Okay. On the record, officially. So, I mean, and, and this location that you moved to in spring is probably about as big a restaurant as you want to operate. Uh, for the most part. I see that, that we have a little bit of growth that we can do where we're at uh, with Corkscrew. Um, we have some plans, but uh, it's we have some plans. <laughs> uh, can I Can I put in a a bid for dinner service because no. that would make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. We need a lot more pit space to make uh, dinner dinner work. And people in hours being split in two. It's a big undertaking. Yeah. We serve a lot of food during the hours that we're open. I mean, we pull, we, we all pull anywhere from all of our employees, all of them do anywhere from 10 to 16 hours a day, us included in that. So when people say, well, it must be nice because y'all get to get off early. We don't. We start prep after that. So the first people who come in are Will and Austin at 5 in the morning, and this trickles in from 6.30 to 7.30 to 8.30, and then from then on, and then everybody's typically there till 6 or 7 o'clock uh, cleaning, prepping. Even if we sell out at 3.30 or 4 o'clock, we still have hours worth of stuff to do. So to turn around and start over again would be extremely difficult. Right. I think that's the part of this that maybe people don't realize is that so much work, you know, you, you may sell out a meat in, you know, four hours, but that there's four hours worth of work before and four hours worth of work after that they don't see. Exactly. That's right. Also, the fact that that, uh, like for tomorrow's service, for instance, that was planned two days ago or a day ago. So there's always two days of prep time to get a day of service out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Name another restaurant industry that has you're cooking something for 12 to 13 hours on a regular basis, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of uh, amount of prep. And so, like, you look at a place like Eva Mays, which is, I think is three days a week. Are they three days a week? I don't know. Yeah, even on their website, they talk about we're working all the, We're still working 70, 80-hour weeks, but we need to be with our family, too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. We're spending a day purchasing. We're spending a day prepping. And we're doing the cook. Now, the way, of course, that changes, you're just starting out, is then you can hire more employees. But... You know, it's a difficult. It's a it's a give and take to be profitable. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we still do everything ourselves. I mean, we still do all of our own T-shirts and koozies and stickers and um, getting our stuff bottled and getting our seasoning done and all that stuff. So I spend hours after work doing all of that. So there's there's 
very few hours in the day. <laughs> and they get they get used up quickly. They do. Very quickly. Um, well, speaking of which, I think we've probably used up enough of your time. Uh, Will and Nicole Buckman, thank you so much for joining us today. We can follow you on Twitter at CorkscrewBBQ, on Instagram at CorkscrewBBQ. Yes? Yes. Yes. Uh, Michael Fulmer of the Houston Barbecue Festival, H-O-U-B-B-Q on Twitter and Instagram, M.S. Fulmer on Instagram, and just Fulmer on Twitter. And, of course, follow me, Eric Sandler, on Instagram, at Eric Sandler, on Twitter, at E. Sandler. Thanks so much for listening to What's Eric Eating? We'll be back next week with Ryan Lashane from Real Restaurant.